Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I'm hot, I'm sweaty, fresh off a of marching band practice. I just shut my air off to get that primo audio quality to our listeners, and I'm ready to talk some AFR. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I can't really compete with that, except you know what I can compete with? What's that? Then I got double limited mythic today. What? Pog champ. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, it, we're in a weird spot, right? Because we've got this uh, limited mythic qualifier in October that this month qualifies you for. Uh, but then all these sweet flashback formats are best of one. So normally when I would like plop into high mythic, I'll just like, all right, I'm going to chill and I'll go play best of three. But I wanted to play Kaladesh Remastered and I want to play Ikoria. So I, I finally ponied up for a little alt account action and ran that up in the past week. I went from bronze to mythic. Oh, I did. I saw you post this. What's the username? Sailor of memes or something? Yeah. Yeah. Sailor of memes. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. And I got there with. So this morning I drafted this like busted looking cycling deck just, you know, had everything except for a Zenith flare and it went two, three and I was so bummed. And then I drafted just good old black green honey mammoths and seven one my way into mythic. I was like, man, honey mammoth is the cycling crusher. It's the truth. Cycling tester, baby. Yeah, for sure. You just slam that and you're like, all right, whatever. And then your opponent deals with it. And then you're like, all right, back for more. It kill your snare tactician. Anyway, it was great. Have you been doing any of the flashback stuff? I've played a ton of Kaladesh remastered. Love doing that. And I have not had a chance yet to play a but I'm hoping to settle in this evening or tomorrow for some Ikoria drafts. Sweet. Well, I'm, I'm sure you'll you'll enjoy going back to your goat. Man, can we talk for a second how great Kaladesh Remastered is? It's so good. That format is insane. People kept asking me, like, I know you didn't, you know, put it in your rankings when you guys did the ranking episode, but where would it go for you? And I was like, it's high. It's really up there. Like, I don't know if it cracks the top three, but it might. It's easy top five, and I think it's knocking on the door for top three. There's just so much tension between the drafts, right? There's such a wide variety of decks and a wide variety of card quality. And then, you know, there's ways to break through board stalls like Gear Seeker Serpent. There's just so much push and pull in the games, in addition to the drafts being awesome. Yeah, for sure, right? The drafts are awesome. Almost like everything is a viable archetype that's good if it's open for you. You've got good aggressive stuff. You've got good late game stuff, resource management. The games like can be like they can go quickly or you get these like grindy ones. It just really, really has it all. Yeah, love that format. Well, we're not talking about Kaladesh Remastered, Ben. We're doing Adventures in the Forgotten Realm, one of our last episodes for AFR, actually. And I know folks out there may be a little tired of the format. Maybe they've just moved on like I think you and I have. But... We did want to do a What's the Play episode for this set, and I think it's good to do them at the end of the set's rotation, um, just because everyone's familiar with the cards. I think it's easy to follow, and I think we've got some really good decisions, and we we don't often get to talk about gameplay on, on limited podcasts, right? It's hard to do because, you know, complicated board states, but we trust you listeners to follow along at home. Um, we'll do our best to uh, to walk you through these decisions, and I think that's going to be a really great, uh, we got a lot of really great stuff that's fodder for discussion. So before we get into any of all that, just a few housekeeping things to take care of first things first is the patreon page patreon.com slash lords of limited where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose you know we're, we're knocking on a new set ben uh innistrad midnight hunt is just around the corner not not quite quick enough i think but it is around the corner and when a new set comes out that is exactly the time when you want to get in on the discord so everybody who gives back to the show via the patreon gets access to our discord and i we say this every week it's the best place on the internet for limited tech support 24 7 it's hopping it's popping and 
the Discord breaks a new set the first week that it's out. I mean, it's just really incredible. The trophy channel is fantastic to learn about, hey, what's like a good version of this archetype? What cards are being included? What are not? Whatever. You get a lot of support for, hey, help me build this deck. Help me, you know, navigate this draft if you want or review this draft. It's just a fantastic community. A lot of other stuff happening over at the Patreon as well as you move up the reward tiers. And of course, each and every week, we want to shout out our new patrons. So this week, we're welcoming Mati, Lot, Quinn, Kevin, Brock, Rob, Sam, Kyre, Matt, Ben, Andrew, and Ziggy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. And speaking of Innistrad Midnight Hunt being right around the corner, Channel Fireball sponsors this podcast, and they are going to have Innistrad Midnight Hunt product, sealed product, when the format comes out. So it's about that time where the pre-orders might be getting started in the next week or two here. So if you're going to be purchasing some Innistrad Midnight Hunt, consider heading over to ChannelFireball.com to place that order. And whether you're getting that or you're signing up for CFB Pro for the first time, anything and everything you get over there, um, we would really appreciate you using code LOL, all caps, to let them know that we sent you over there and it helps the show out. All right, let's dive right in here. This time around for our What's the Play episodes, uh, we're going to be doing things a little differently. So uh, first off, we're going to be doing like a bunch from one deck. So we actually got to do uh, some of the AFR draft challenge events a few weeks ago and luckily got a lot of really good fodder for this episode. And I think it'll be easier to follow along by just taking, you know, a couple decks and uh, jamming through some what's the plays with those because you'll you know get familiar with the cards and understand where we're coming from and what the deck strategy is etc um, as always we'll have a google doc available where you download the show if you want to play along at home visually but we'll do our best to uh to help you out here uh here with the audio so ben you want to take us into your deck here yeah had some super sweet games with this deck in the draft challenge and so we're just going to run through the contents here i actually got forced into blue green in the draft challenge because so many people knew red black was the best deck by that time in the format it was actually hard to get into in the pods i, I did the draft challenge for i did two of them i think um and so i have a blue green deck here it's running 18 lands we've got eight forests seven islands a temple of the dragon queen layer of the hydra that's the rare man land uh for green and then an evolving wild so really good on sources there and then moving up cards in the mana value order we've got secret door and trickster's talisman in the one drop slot in the two drop slot we've got arcane investigator Intrepid Outlander, two Underdark Basilisks, two Bull Strengths, Druid Class, and You Come to a River. In the three drop slot, we've got Triple Clever Conjurer and a Lurking Roper to go along with those three Clever Conjurers to untap it. That's kind of what the Druid Class is doing there as well. Just another way to gain life, another late game threat, untaps the Lurking Roper. And then a piece of removal in Charmed Sleep. In the four-drop slot, we've got Jenny Winsear and Hunter's Mark, another piece of removal. In the fives, we've got Double Elter Guard Ranger, Mind Flayer as a rare. That's how we ended up drafting Blue. And then Owlbear. And in the six-drop slot, Captain of the Team, Hill Giant, Herd, Gorger. And that's what those Bull Strengths are doing there. This was like the point in the format where I just realized I was not playing enough Bull Strengths. That card is awesome if you're playing green. Yeah, if you've got the Herd Gorgers because people are just so incentivized to chump because their creatures aren't big enough and they're scared to double block. And Bull Strength just wrecks that strategy. Yeah, so this was a tight little deck. I mean, it's nothing fancy. Far and away, my best card is Mind Flayer, but the rest of it is largely commons and uncommons, and I have to be choosy with my removal. I've only got Charm, Sleep, and Hunter's Mark. I mean, Mind Flayer as well, but that's kind of conditional. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a little fragile there in terms of thinking about it as a removal, but if it gets there, it gets there. I, I was watching you draft this and then play most of the games because you were streaming this, and I did not think the deck was anything special. But you, uh, I think you, I was like, this deck is fine, and I think you played the heck out of it. Yeah, I was very proud of how I played in the draft challenge. 
Well, let's uh, let's get to some of these decisions. First up, we're in the blue-green mirror here. Life totals, very high for both players. I'm at 20, opponents at 18. We're on turn four. My cards in hand, I've got a You Come to a River, Hunter's Mark, Mind Flare, Charm Sleep, and Plummet. So essentially all of our interaction removal in hand. Lands on the battlefield, I've got a Temple of the Dragon Queen on blue as well as two forests, and I missed a land drop on my turn four, so we're a little behind in that department. And then on the battlefield, I've got an Arcane Investigator that's tapped at the moment, that's not super relevant, and a Secret Door as a Mana Sink. So we are just kind of like waiting to draw lands, be able to play mind flare and kind of progress the game here opponent has hit all their land drops they've got two islands two forests they've got a displacer beast that they played it's the tuna blue three two and etb's you venture and they've got a guild thief that's the one one with the activated ability to make it unblockable and when it hits the opponent it gets a plus one plus one counter and it's their turn and they just paid four mana to activate guild thief's ability and presumably are planning to attack with it so Really, the only option we have right now, well, we've got a couple of options. We could Hunter's Mark, our opponent's Guild Thief, with our Arcane Investigator, because they're tapped out, so it's safe to use our fight spell to kill that. Um, and it only costs single green, because we would be targeting a blue permanent. That's the the uncommon that where it gives your creature plus one, plus one, and it can uh, bite with its damage. And then if it's a blue creature, it costs three less to cast. We've also got You Come to a River in hand, which we could use the Fight the Current option to bounce our opponent's Guild Thief if we wanted to. So. Those are the options. And the question is, do you do one of those two? Or the third option is kind of, do you pass here? Yeah. So, I mean, you've laid out all the options. And when I was watching this, the reason I think this is an interesting one is my instinct is to use my mana when I can. Like, especially when I'm missing land drops and I know like my mana is going to be tied up in future turns that I was worried here about just, you know, saying, hey, let's just take the two damage because there is that's tempting, right? because they're using their turn to effectively do nothing. They're just making it unblockable. They're going to hit you for one, and then they'll add a counter to it, and then you know it's growing a little bit. But you know you have ways to answer it in the future. But I just get worried about passing you know, this turn cycle without doing anything with my mana. And Guild Thief feels like a thing that eventually you may have to deal with, right? Like, Do you feel like it's going to be something you'll have to deal with down the road at some point? For sure, yeah. My thought process was, okay, Guild Thief needs to be dealt with. The question is, does it need to be dealt with right now? And so I would argue that the opponent spending four mana to deal two damage to us, and even next turn, if they're willing to spend four mana to do three damage to us, and the next turn, if they're willing to spend another four damage to do four four mana to do four damage to us, I would sign up for that every single time. Well, it's even less than that, right? Because it's only it's going to be one, then two, Two, then three. three. It doesn't have it doesn't have a counter yet. So you're right, right? Like them not progressing their board and doing that for the next three turns, I would sign up for that for sure. So do you think that? You know, by killing it, you you leave that option because obviously they think this is a valuable thing to do and we don't. And so if you kill Guild Thief, then maybe they're forced to progress the board. Whereas if you left it in play, they might go, hey, I'm just going to keep pumping mana into this thing. That was my thought process here. I was like, you know, I'm happy to leave this around on the battlefield. And especially rather than using Hunter's Mark, we know we have the bounce spell to maybe right. even bounce it and then bait them into using more mana on future turns. I think... As long as the opponent is willing to pump mana into Guild Thief at this point in the game, I want them to do that while I'm waiting to hit land drops and other things like that. So I really like waiting here. And especially, it would be different if the thing that we needed to kill the Guild Thief cost 
more mana to where we couldn't double spell on a future turn. But knowing that we have Hunter's Mark as just like a clean, crisp one mana answer to it, Mm -hmm. you know, when we choose down the road, most likely, I think it's worth waiting and seeing what you draw. Yeah, for sure. I think there's there's another thing about this hand being so interaction heavy, right? Like we've talked about, you've got your bounce spell, your bite spell, your charm sleep and your mind flare and your plummet out of the board in this blue green mirror. That's another like reason that it just my my gut reaction is like, don't do nothing here. And like you have more removal, you know, you're going to want to deal with this thing at some point. So just do it. But your patience here, I think, really pays off. And I I just wanted to highlight that in this. What's the play? Because I think I think the, the instinct there of using your mana is right. And then I think just thinking through that and putting it in check is really important. Yeah. And so we actually progressed another turn and they did this again the next turn and I elected mm-hmm. not to kill it again. So this went by multiple turns. Yeah. Well, which was great for you. And that actually takes us to our next what's the play, which is the same game. So our opponent did activate Guild Thief there. They activated again. So here's the new board state. We, unfortunately, want wah have only hit one more land drop. So we've got that uh, Temple of the Dragon Queen on blue. We've got three forests on the battlefield. Two of them are tapped. So the only untapped mana source we have right now is a single green. Our opponent just tapped out. They've hit all their land drops. Must be nice. Uh, three islands, three forests for a Mordenkainen. That's the four blue, blue planeswalker, five loyalty. Um, you can plus two to draw two cards. Minus two, you make a dog with power and toughness equal to twice the number of cards in your hand. And Lord only knows what the ultimate does. Not particularly relevant here. So the opponent still has that Displacer Beast. And they've got the Guild Thief, which is now a 3-3 because it's connected twice. And then they just down-ticked Mordenkainen to make a dog illusion. So our board, we've still got Arcane Investigator. We've still got Secret Door. We've added a clever conjurer here. Um, So we've now got access to double blue, which is relevant. And our hand is still exactly the same. We've got you come to a river, Hunter's Mark, Mind Flare, Charm Sleep, and Plummet. Yes, you've drawn an extra land and you've drawn and played clever conjurer. And their dog illusion is an 8-8. So, I mean, the really straightforward thing here, you've got a single green man at the end of their turn. And Hunter's Mark, thank God for removal that can kill Planeswalkers. Because when I was playing Kaladesh Remastered, every time my opponent played a Planeswalker, I like looked at my daring demolition and I was like, golly, like if this were today, <laughs> this would be able to blow that up. But I just like lose to Tezzeret now. So that was a bummer. But now Hunter's Mark can bite Mordenkainen. So you can just do that now, right, with one of your two power creatures and just reach out and finish it off for the three loyalty. Yeah, and that was actually my first instinct. And if you look at my 17 lands replay here, I actually put Hunter's Mark on the stack. And then I was like, wait, no, (laughs) there's a better line here because our opponent is tapped out, right? So normally with this instant speed fight, bite type removal, you have to be really careful about firing it off into open mana because your opponents can have removal on your creature in response and blow you out in two for one, which is a pretty bad spot to be in. Yeah. And so for folks following along at home, if you want to pause the podcast and look at this screenshot, think about like what's the highest upside play you can make, because that's what Ben is going to do here. Yeah. So instead of Hunter's marking on end step and just killing Mordenkainen, I realized that we could untap, use you come to a river to bounce their dog illusion, which kills it, which is nice. And then as for blockers, they've only got the Displacer Beast and the Guild Thief. So we have a very free attack with Clever Conjurer here. And most likely they're going to try to eat our Clever Conjurer with Guild Thief. And so we attack. And then when they block, we get a Hunter's Mark pumping up our Clever Conjurer to a 3-4, kill Mordenkainen, and kill their creature. So we get a 2-for-1 them with the Hunter's Mark. And worst case scenario for us, they decide to double block Clever Conjurer. And even then, we're still just trading 2-for-2. So it's all upside. It's a really good line. 
Yeah. So just pro tip there about Hunter's Mark dealing with Planeswalkers if you're still drafting AFR out in the streets. But yeah, I love this patience here. I'm really and, and you know you don't get to make this play if you're me and you do that like spewy thing where a few turns ago you used you come to a river to bounce the guild thief or use Hunter's Mark to kill it and you really get to leverage these two spells to their like actual maximum potential. Yeah, you're in a terrible spot if you fire things off early on in this game. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, really great patience here. All right, moving on to the next one. We've got a Keeper Mull on the draw here. This is the same deck, unknown opponent. Our hand is Island Island, Forest Evolving Wilds, and Temple of the Dragon Queen. So five lands in hand, Trickster's Talisman, and Bull's Strength. So not an ideal looking hand here. Um, I saw this on the draw and I said, keep. I mean... I think that is actually insane. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> I was watching this on stream and you were just like, all right, yeah, I'll keep this. It's like, <laughs> how? Like, it's a five lander and then two cards that need you to have creatures. One of which, especially the bull strength, like needs you to have multiple creatures to leverage it effectively. And you're on the, the draw. So you're like likely to be behind. I, I This is, just seems like a shocking keep to me. What what do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> so it's so funny because I looked at this hand and I said keep. And then when you said to pull this out for the show notes, you said something like you had a five lander with no action at all. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a mulligan. And then when I went to dig this out of the show notes, I saw the hand again. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'd keep that hand. <laughs> So I don't know what's happening in my head. Um, I have no defense (laughs) other than when I see the sand. I think it's a keep. So if you look at the deck, relevant things that we could draw before turn three, we have one, two, three, four creatures in the two drop slot, secret door in the one drop slot, and then triple clever conjurer lurking roper. So about nine, ten things that we're happy drawing before turn three, which is not great. Like we're slightly over 50% to hit that, but... Our deck wants to hit land drops, you know, we're in best of three, it's likely to be slower. I mean, you you have to mulligan this hand in best of one, and I think it's probably a mulligan in best of three as well. I don't know. My my gut instinct was to keep. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, I cannot, for our listeners' sake, I cannot endorse this as a keep. Yes. This seems so dangerous. Like, it, well, you can't count Secret Door as one of these outs also, because Secret Door does nothing with Talisman or Bull Strength. So it's really nine creatures, and I don't know. It just feels like every land you draw is so punishing. I agree. This is a sketchy keep. I agree. This is not a good keep. Okay. All right. We got there. (laughs) All right. That takes us to next game. This is the same opponent who's playing red-white, but we're in game two here. Board state is as follows. We have five lands on the battlefield, three islands, two forests, and our only creature on board is a wolf token. Our opponent has six lands on the battlefield, three planes, three mountains, a devil token, which is a 1-1. When it dies, it deals one damage to any target, wearing a dueling rapier. So that's a 3-1. And their devil token came from a planeswalker, which has been chilling on the battlefield for a few turns. They have Zerial, Archduke of Avernus. It's two red-red for a four-loyalty planeswalker. Plus one, creatures you control, plus one, plus one, gain haste until end of turn. Zero, it makes a 1-1 red devil creature token. With When this creature dies, it deals one damage to any target. And you can minus six to get an emblem with at the end of the first combat phase in your turn. Untap target creature you control. After this phase, there's an additional combat phase. So that's been down, and they've ticked it up to six loyalty right now. It's your turn. You just drew your card for the turn, and your hand is as follows. You've got a forest, a temple of the dragon queen, a hunter's mark, a hill giant herd gorger, an elter guard ranger, and a bull's strength. So opponents tapped out except for a plains and a mountain. And that's relevant because in game one, 
you saw you hear something on watch from your opponent, which is pretty suspect because the, the obvious line here to get Zerial Archduke of Vernus off the battlefield is to attack with your wolf and then use Hunter's Mark to punch down the Zerial. So that'll give the wolf plus one plus one, hit Zerial for three, and then it'll be a three three to finish it off for the total six loyalty. Right. But the awkward thing is you have to fire off the hunter's mark before the wolf does combat damage. So it would be one thing if you could like attack with the wolf, see if they kill it with you hear something on watch and then finish it off with hunter's mark. But the fact that you have to use the hunter's mark before the wolf deals damage and get two for one essentially by you hear something on watch makes that line pretty undoable, I think. Yeah, it's tough because like the Zerial alt is is pretty scary, I think. I mean, you're at 10 and they can just like, you know, have multiple attacks, especially if, you know, you're you don't add to the board this turn or whatever. But the, you're right about the blowout potential being really severe. Yeah, I think it's too punishing. I think you lose if they have that card and they're definitely repping that card. And I think the most likely thing for them to do, which is also scary, is plus one one more turn to give a threat haste to attack you with. So I think the best line that you can do here is play Hill Giant Herd Gorger. You play your land for the turn, play Hill Giant Herd Gorger, which has seven power. So even if they uptick Zerial, you're going to be able to use Hunter's Mark to take down their Zerial. And it also stabilizes your life total. It's going to be a good blocker. So I think just waiting one more turn to try to kill the Zerial and being a little patient is the way to go here. Yeah, and you also have bull strength to push the Herd Gorger through. It is sort of a perfect storm of like, you have a really good hand to not have to deal with Zerial this turn. And I think it is probably likely that they keep upticking or just keep, you know, maybe they'll just start making zeroing it to make the devil tokens instead to to chump the herd gorger or whatever. All the more reason to do that and then, you know, fire off the bull strength and gotcha. Right, for sure. Yeah. That's tough. I, I do think like, you know, you can play around stuff too hard, right? You can give your opponent too much credit sometimes. And I think this is like somewhat on the verge of that but you have such a good hand you have such a good other line like sometimes you might just be forced into look if they have you hear something on watch they have it but i have to go for this anyway sometimes your hand will dictate that but i think you have enough better stuff to do here well and in best of one maybe you even decide to go for it but the fact that you saw it you know right. they have that card and they have the two mana open it makes it really tough here that's what i, I mean it, i've been playing more or i was playing more best of three with afr and just best of three in general, one of the refreshing things about it is that fun added piece of the puzzle, not only of sideboarding, but getting to go, oh, I've seen this card. And we'll see that a little bit later with some of mine, too. All right. Last one I've got from this deck here. My opponent is Sindri from our Discord, who's actually one of my coaching students. So this was the student versus the master here. So extra wow. pressure on me to get the <laughs> W. <laughs> uh, we had some great games. This was a super fun match. So board state is as follows. Everybody's hit their lands. Sindri has five land drops, Swamp Swamp, Mountain Mountain Mountain. They are tapped out. They just cast a Tiger Tribe Hunter, um, which is three red red for the 4 fourth Trample, and then Pack Tactics. Um, if you attack with six power or more, you can sacrifice a creature. If you do, Tiger Tribe Hunter deals damage equal to sacrifice creature's power to target creature. They also have a vampire spawn on the battlefield. And then our board, we've got Island, 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 Forest, Forest, five lands. We've got an Arcane Investigator, a Wolf Token, and an Elter Guard Ranger. And then our hand is Hunter's Mark, Underdark Basilisk, and Bull's Strength. So we just drew for the turn, and we're trying to decide what's the play here. One of the things I have learned, I think most about this format from playing so many times, is against a red-black deck, you have got to get their free sacrifice outlet off the battlefield. <laughs> 
Like Sepulchre Ghoul is such a threat. Like when I see Sepulchre Ghoul, I'm like, I cannot let them keep this. If you have Deadly Dispute in hand, fine, good for you. But I have to get this free sack outlet off the board. Yeah, that was my thought process as well here. And I actually, I think, ended up taking a pretty suboptimal line. So my thought process was, okay, I need to deal with Tiger Tribe Hunter. I knew that. But I was thinking I went for the extra blowout again with Hunter's Mark. You saw earlier, you know, against the Mordenkind and I went for the extra value here. So I was thinking, okay, you know, maybe they're going to have price of loyalty or something and they're going to steal my creature and then I'll be able to Hunter's Mark, you know, Tiger Tribe Hunter down in response and I'll take some damage, but I'll have essentially two for one of them because they won't have a sack outlet anymore for the card that they stole with price of loyalty. But there's a problem with that line. What's the problem? Well, the problem is that they get to untap, right? So... Even if they do that, you know, if they have exactly price of loyalty, they still have mana open to interact with me at instant speed, which is not great. But they also have the option of just passing with open mana. And these fight spells, you cannot cast them into open mana. So I had this grand plan drawn out in my head of what I was going to do. But then my opponent, Sindri, just passed back to me with open mana. And then I was just up a creek without a paddle, right? Because then their mana's untapped and now I can't cast my Hunter's Mark and I, I missed my window. The, the right play, I think, is right now while they are tapped out is to just Hunter's Mark down the Tiger Tribe Hunter with Elder Guard Ranger and not try to get any extra value out of it. You just want the Sacrifice Outlet off the battlefield while you've got a clean window against Red Black to use your Hunter's Mark here. Yeah, for sure. And it, it's it's such a, a big difference. And I think on face value, this play looks so similar to the one with Mordenkainen, but it really isn't. And especially against Red Black that can have such cheap interaction and has such an abundance of interaction, even at common, it's just so dangerous to do this. And we're at a point in the game where then your opponent can just not tap out at all if they want to, right? Right, or they have Deadly Dispute and then they get two cards and a treasure, right? Like you just don't want to give the window for your opponent to get value out of their sack outlet. You just want to get it done and over with now. And I ended up putting myself in a spot where I totally punted and got blown out deservedly from not just using the hunter's mark right here right and then the danger is like let's say they don't have interaction but then the more you know they pass with open mana and the more you can't use hunter's mark then the more draw steps they get to find that piece of interaction or that deadly dispute or whatever that makes the hunter's mark worse it's just like this you know snowbally effect yep for sure yeah well, I mean, I, I guess I would say other than that play, I really thought you you piloted the heck out of this deck and, and got to a deserving 6-1 record for max value. Yeah, I was very happy with how I played. All right, so that's going to bring us on to my draft challenge deck that we're going to take a look at here. Um, so this is a red-green deck. Now, I've not played red-green very often, but just fell in my lap here. So this is a pretty clean mana base of eight forests, eight mountains, and one evolving wild. So that's 17 lands. And then we'll just tick up the curve here. So in the one-drop slot, we've got Dueling Rapier and I guess Ochre Jelly, though that's really something you're going to be casting for more than uh, more than one mana. Uh, that's the uh, rare that makes a, a creature with trample with power and toughness equal to X. So X and a green is the cost there. In our two-drop slot, we've got two Armory Veterans, Knoll Hunter, Hobgoblin, Goblin Captain, Bull Strength, Burning Hands, Goblin Morningstar, and Must Be Nice Ranger Class. Uh, in the three drop slot, Triple Plundering Barbarian, Valor Singer, Improvised Weaponry, Magic Missile, and Double Spoils of the Hunt. No four drops. Right on to fives, we've got Double Owlbear and Zalto Fire Giant Duke. That's the rare five mana seven three trample. And in the six drop slot, Old Faithful, two Hill Giant Herd Gorgers. Love this deck. This is green, red beats, green, red beats and get gets the power there. Rare with the Ranger class and a lot of interaction. 
So I got the, the beef at the top end. It's what you want. So uh, we'll run through a few what's the plays here. First up, we found ourselves in a position that I found myself in a lot with this deck, whereas like I was I'm about to close and then things get a little hairy. So we're, we're deep in the game here about turn seven came out swinging. Our board is seven lands, two mountains, five forests, forest in hand. So so add a gas here. The board is armory veteran, two plundering barbarians and an owl bear that is tapped down uh, this turn from a dragon turtle from our opponent. That's the flash three mana, three, five taps it and taps another thing and they stay tapped for a turn the rest of our opponent's board six lands uh, a herald of hadar a wizard class and a warlock class and i actually forget where they're at but that's not i think super relevant for where the, the board is at the most important thing that's relevant here is the life totals we're at 20 hefty 20 we've had our pedal to the metal the whole game and our opponent is at six and so the real question here is, they're at six. We're just so close to getting lethal, Ben. We've got three two twos, and they have one four four untapped. So we could attack all and get them to two, but that would cause us to be chump attacking with one of our creatures, right? They can jump the Herald in front of one of them. And that would probably be the Armory Veteran. And we do know, you know, we've got a couple pieces of equipment in the deck. And I think it is important just to take stock of what's in the deck and, and what our outs are to play to. So what, what do you, you think about when you're looking at this board? And is it worth it? to jam all creatures in knowing that we're going to lose one to get our opponent down to two. Yeah, my first question when you asked me this was, I don't know what's in the deck. And I think that is what you should be looking at is what your outs are here after you put your opponent to two. And so things that we could draw, you know, we've got a bevy of removal spells. And as far as like actual factual ways to push damage to the face, we've got improvised weaponry and magic missile that could go to the dome. We've got two spoils of the hunt in the deck. We've got a burning hands as a piece of removal. One has been fired off. One spoils has already been fired. And I think then you're also putting your spot and your opponent in a spot where they're at two and, you know, they're staring down three creatures. So if they just have nothing, you know, they're forced to activate Herald of Hadar. It's, it's awkward, right? My initial instinct was they have Herald of Hadar. Okay, I don't really want to throw a creature away when they're going to be able to activate Herald and then go back up to four life. But then they've also got two cards in hand as well as Wizard class and Warlock class. They've got a lot of places to put their mana. So I think if we can force the opponent to use six mana, you know, to, to roll the dice on their Herald and hope to gain two life, because it's not a guarantee that you get a gain two life, right? Mm -hmm. I think putting them to two here and forcing the action on them is actually pretty strong, especially considering we've got ways to draw cards. It feels bad, but I think it's the right thing to do, because if you just do nothing and let your opponent stay at six, they're so stable if they just play one other card. Right. And and you right, like you said, so we've got magic missile and improvised weaponry that can just go to the dome and finish them off if they're at two and like whiff on the herald activation. We've got, you know, some equipment that can can push damage with like rapier or morningstar or maybe the bull strength gets there. So you have outs, right? And I just think like with them having Herald, if you don't push the damage here, it feels really hard to think that we can get them low enough to win at this point. Right. And this is recognizing the thing about this spot is normally like the general rule of thumb is that you don't want to chump attack, right? That's bad. Right. Because then you're throwing resources away for damage, which is not where you want to be because usually the person with more resources wins. But what you have to recognize here is that your opponent has control of the game right now. And you need to close out the game like this is your window. You're either going to draw a card in the next turn or two that lets you close this game out or your opponent is going to run away with it through value. So you've got to put your pedal to the metal. Yeah, and that is what I ended up doing. We didn't draw a removal spell, but we did get to draw the old ochre jelly, which was enough to to be able to just drop a huge trampler that they couldn't really effectively then block enough stuff. And we got to, to close out the game. 
Sweet. Yeah. All right. Next up here, we've got a little Keeper Mulligan with our red-green deck. So you're on the draw here, and your hand is as follows. The old one lander, one mountain. You do have two red two drops, two armory veterans, also a Null Hunter in the two drop slot. And then moving up the curve, you've got a Magic Missile, an Elter Guard Ranger, and an Earth Cult Elemental at the top of the curve. Keep or Mulligan, Ben? Yeah, on the draw, like theoretically, you can keep one landers like this because you're about 70 plus percent to hit your second land drop. But that's you only want to do that if your hand is actively good. If you hit that one land, like maybe you've got a way on two mana then to hit your third land drop or something like that. Two mana being able to play two armory veterans does not excite me for the risk that I'm taking on hoping to hit my second land drop on the draw. So I think I would mulligan this. Yeah, it's just too weak to keep just like two grizzly bears. Like that's what you're hoping to draw land into. It's not good enough, I think. So then uh, we mulligan here. And the hand that we have, I think, is a keeper. But what, what do we send back here is the question. So the hand is forest, mountain, mountain, ranger class. Thank God. Plummet, which we've sided in because uh, this is game two, and we've seen out of our blue opponent not only Ginny Winsier, but Imrith, the like rare dragon, the five mana, four, four, flying with ward four, and also draws you cards. It's insane. So we brought in Plummet for that. Uh, and then we've got two owl bears at the top of the curve as well. No double green in hand, remember, right? Forest, mountain, mountain. Yeah. So I think my default when I saw this was, okay, I'm putting back plummet. And then you told me the additional information of Genie and Imrith. And then, you know, I think you're trying to think of how you lose, right? So yeah. Ranger class is such a bomb that that's likely to carry you a long way. And then do you really need both owl bears to close the game out with a card like Ranger class? Probably not. So then you're thinking, okay, how can I lose? And then one of those scenarios is your opponent drawing Imrith and you not having removal for it. So knowing that they have that card, I think you're supposed to keep plummet and bottom an owl bear here. I think without that information, you're shipping plummet. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that is what I did as well. Had to keep that uh, that silver bullet for those flyers. All right, moving along here, we're going to jump ahead. It's the same game. Things have progressed. I don't know, kind of aggressively for our opponent here. So they've got <laughs> so looking at what's on their side of the battlefield, they have six lands. They're empty handed. Their board is Feywild Trickster, the dice rolling creature that makes one ones. Rhyme Shield Frost Giant, big four five secret door, Herald of Hadar. And they have one uh, dragon token from the Trickster, I believe, off of a, a Herald activation. On our side of things, we've got a Plundering Barbarian and a 4-4 Ochre Jelly, as well as a Ranger class. Unfortunately, 17 lands doesn't show where it's at. I don't remember uh, how how high up it is. Um, we've got five lands in play, four mountains and a forest, and our hand is Spoils of the Hunt, Goblin Morningstar, and Plummet still just chilling. I'm not going to fire it off on that Fairy Dragon. So I think clearly we want to use the Spoils of the Hunt here to, to clear something. But the question is what? And I think you can make a case for... I guess really two cards, right? Because we can't, we, well, I guess we could think about sitting on it for another turn to try to kill the Frost Giant with it once we get to a third land to pay for ward. Because we're not like crazy under pressure, right? They're, they're at 20, we're at 17, but they have a 4-5 and a 4-4 to our 4-4 Ochre Jelly. So we'd like to, I think, stem the bleeding from these big bad creatures a little bit. So the question is, what's more important to kill, the Herald of Hadar or the Feywild Trickster, I think? Yeah, I mean, you're definitely behind here, right? And you don't yeah. have attacks anytime soon. I think it's it's tempting to kill the Feywild Trickster because it's a repeated source of 1-1s potentially for the opponent. But a blue-black deck is not generally great 
at rolling dice in my experience. I mean, you get the blue stuff that's dice rolling, but I think knowing that you're as far behind as you are, I mean, your opponent next turn is going to attack you with Rhyme Shield, Frost Giant, and Herald of Dar, most likely. And then you could trade off the Ochre Jelly for the Herald, but then you're just still under so much pressure from the Rhyme Shield, Frost Giant. I think you just have to kill the Herald because of how far behind you are. And then you're just hoping the opponent doesn't have dice rolling stuff for Feywild Trickster. It feels bad, but I think that Herald is the more immediate problem despite being an, you know, an intrinsically less powerful magic card. Yeah. One of the things that was tripping me up in this spot was I kept being like, well, Herald is a more important thing. Like I should kill one of the pieces of the dice rolling creature or the thing that cares about dice rolling. But I really hated the fact that because I am behind here, they're empty handed and I wanted to not leave them with a mana sink, but they've got both secret door and Herald. And so I was like, well, even if I kill Harold, then they still have stuff to do with their mana with Secret Door. And so I wanted to maybe kill the Trickster to be like, well, haha, now you have you have two mana sinks. You have to choose which one you want to activate. But the problem is that still leaves them with a 4-4 that I can't really deal with. Right. If you have the 4-4 on blocks, like if your Ochre Jelly is a 4-5, then maybe you can get away with it. But I think given given the power and toughness of everything and how far behind you are, you got to get the bigger threat off the battlefield. Yep, that is what I ended up doing. Tough spot there, I think. Moving right along to another deep spot in a game. I think this is like turn 10 or something. Here's where we're at life total wise. I'm at 12. The opponent's at seven. They've got one card in hand. Five lands are on white green, three planes, two forests, an inspiring bard, a lurking roper, and a cleric class that has not been leveled up at all. They have passed with that mana open, right? Five mana open, cleric class not leveled up, alarm bells a little bit. What do we got going on? Well, we've got... A handful of goodies, Hill Giant, Herd Gorger, a Plundering Barbarian, and a Mountain. Five lands in play, as well as four creatures, Armory Veteran, no equipment in sight, Knoll Hunter, Hill Giant, Herd Gorger, and an Owl Bear. So a lot of beef in play, and they're at seven. And so, you know, thinking about attacking all, getting that pack tactics trigger, but there's got to be some alarm bells, right? With this passing of five mana in hand and not leveling, leveling up Cleric class. That means they've got something, right? Yes, your opponent is either just like not good at magic or (laughs) they have something in hand. And I think in general, you should just give your opponent the benefit of the doubt and assume they have something here because otherwise they would have put their mana into cleric class. And maybe this is a savage bluff. But if it's a savage bluff, you're winning the game anyway. You know what I mean? Like because sure, they yeah. that mana on fire. So you you definitely are thinking they have something. And then you're trying to figure out what they have, right? In green and white instance, what are the worst case things for you, right? They could have you hear something on watch, which would be pretty bad so if you attack all and they have you hear something on watch what happens they have a four five and a three three and so the most they can't kill hill giant herd gorger with you hear something on watch so they would use that on owlbear kill your owlbear and then they can't let hill giant herd gorger hit them so i think if i were the opponent i would double block herd gorger you hear something on watch owlbear and then take five from the armory veteran and the null hunter And then that would put the opponent to two other things they could have hunter's mark spoils of the hunt hunter's mark is the worst of those right because it pumps power and toughness but even then it's not terrible for you is it i don't think so so they can the the thing that is is consistent here is they can't really deal with the herd gorger effectively they're they're, they have to like zero for one themselves right they have to chump it or double block it but if they double block it, then they're signing up to take five using their removal spell, whatever it is. You hear something or spoils or hunter's mark to kill the owl bear. And so that puts them to two. And with you still having 
two creatures to their one, right? But that does remove both of your big threats, but then you've got another big threat coming, right? You have another Hell Giant Hurtgord where you can play. Yeah, I honestly, like, I think you know your opponent has something here, but I still like attacking all and playing into whatever it is because you get a follow up with Hill Giant Herdgorger and then they're at two, I think, in in the opponent's best case scenario that I can figure out. Yeah, best case scenario, they're at two. They have Bard, you have a two, two and a three, three Null Hunter, and then you play Herdgorger. I think I like attacking all here. I don't know what I like. I pegged them for something. I was like, haha, you've passed with mana up and you have cleric class and you didn't level it up. So you have something. And then I was like, so I'll play it safe and I'll only attack with my seven six because I can't get blown out. But walking through it, like, I don't know what I get blown out by. And they do end up having Hunter's Mark. And so it just doesn't really matter. I should have just attacked all. Right. And so they end up two for one in themselves with Hunter's Mark. Yeah. And I mean, you're you're getting to the same result anyway, but I think you put more pressure on them by swinging out here. I guess the, the option for not attacking is that you get to light their mana on fire, but then you would just have to not attack, period. I think that's the other option. I think I either like swinging all or doing nothing and playing Hurt Gorger. Yes, but I think you're definitely supposed to swing all. Yeah. The thing that happens with what I do is the same result, like we're left at the same board, except one, my Null Hunter isn't a 3-3, and they're at seven and not two. Right. And both of those are way worse. Right. I mean, I'm far ahead. I I end up winning this game, but this was was definitely a a mistake. I like... I read them for the thing, but then didn't use that information effectively at all. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. All right. We got another Keeper Mull here on the draw with this deck. Uh, This is a a bit of a dicier one. So your lands are three mountains, no forests in sight for this red green deck. Uh, You've got a Hobgoblin Captain in hand that you can cast. And then three current uncastables with two Owlbears and Ochre Jelly. So let's, let's remind folks at home about the outs we have for green sources which are not only eight forests and an evolving wilds, but some treasure makers as well, right? Triple plundering barbarian and improvised weaponry. Yeah, so that essentially gets you up to 13 green sources. And then you also, I think when you're looking at keeper malls like this, you need to take into account the cheap two and three drop red creatures that you would be happy drawing as well. Right, I can cast two armory veterans, I can cast... A Burning Hands as a removal spell or Magic Missile or Goblin Morning Star or Valor Singer. Like I have a lot of red cards that are cheap that I can currently cast as well. So I think all told, you've you're pushing like 16, 17, 18 cards. You're happy drawing with this hand. Looking at it initially, my gut reaction was mull because you've got the two double green cards in Albear yeah. and they're five drops and Hobgoblin Captain's aggressive, but you don't have any support to back it up aggressively. So it's really just kind of a bad three one in this hand. But I think knowing what outs you have is really important here. And I think that does end up making this a keep. Yeah, for sure. And I think on face value, I think a lot of people will just go, oh, you got to ship it, right? Only mountains, two owl bears. It's like effectively a mold of five or whatever. And I think the combination of you're on the draw and so many of your potential draws in the next few turns are cheap red cards or green sources. So I, I think that does make it a keep. Yep. All right. Last, what's the play here for this red green deck? This is another benefit of playing best of three here is that we've we've got some information on our opponents. So they're, they're on a blue black deck that's currently stuck on land. So they've been stunted on two islands, two swamps, a Yuan-Ti fang blade and a goblin that came from the second room of Lost Mine of Fandelver, which they ventured into. Uh, they're at 14. We're at 20. Our board is quite nice. We've got Plundering Barbarian. Elterguard Ranger with its 2-2 and a Hill Giant Herd Gorger. Six lands in play and a bunch of beef left in hand. Owlbear, 
Herd Gorger number two, and Earth Cult Elemental. So a lot of strong stuff. Looks like we sided in that Elemental um, as well against them. So we've seen you find the villain's lair, right? We've seen the the counter spell, uh, the the one blue blue counter spell that you can also uh, choose to draw to, discard to instead. They have five cards in hand, missing land drops, four lands, and they just passed with mana up. And I think the question is, are you supposed to play something into this counterspell, like read them hard for the counterspell, play something into it and just say, hey, get it over with. Or do you pass and, and potentially get to light their mana on fire? But are you trying to put this card into their hand? I mean, looking at this board state right now, you are significantly far ahead, right? So I don't like playing into the counterspell here, especially if you've seen it. Even if you haven't seen a card like that, I don't know. If you haven't seen it, you're probably jamming. Because it's such a junker, right? You don't. I don't really think people play that card very often. Right. So that's why I think if you haven't seen it, you're jamming. But having seen it, there's no way I'm playing one of these creatures here with how far ahead I am. I think the play I would make is attacking in with the wolf and the plundering barbarian. And then, you know, maybe they trade off their Yuan Fang Blade. Maybe they don't. They can't really because Kill Giant Herdgorger is such a beating. Like they need to save that to block that. So you poke some damage with your two twos here, put them to 10. Like, what are they going to do if they've got that counter spell? They're not going to be able to continually hold up mana if you don't play into it. So you light their mana on fire. The other possibility is that they fire it off on the draw two, discard two mode, which I think you're okay with, and you would prefer to not run a creature into it if they have that. Other possibilities are they have what? Like the instant speed draw two? You don't really care if they do that. I mean, it's not great for you, but that's better that they have that and that you didn't play into their counter spell. Right. So worst case scenario is we don't play a creature and they play contact other plane, the draw spell, and they don't have the counter spell in their hand. That's the worst case scenario. And I think a lot of folks with how chock full of goodies our hand is, right? We've got just three really good beaters in hand that I think some folks might just go, Hey, what, like, whatever. So if they have a counterspell, they have a counterspell. Let me play my worst thing. Maybe that's Owlbear. Maybe that's Earth Cult Elemental, whatever. Let me play my worst thing. And if it gets countered, that doesn't matter because I got more stuff to do. But if you're this ahead on board, which we are, you don't need to do that, right? You can just sort of say, all right, you need to blink first. I'm winning on board. And if you're passing with mana up, you better use it. Because if not, I'm just going to keep attacking with these two twos. Right. This is the same thing. When we very first did these What's the Play episodes, I'm, I'm very passionate about like when you think your opponent has a deal five damage to an attacking creature and you read them for that, that even if you can afford to play into it, you shouldn't because you can just get to light their mana on fire and strand that card in their hand. And this is a similar thing here with the counter spell, especially knowing that they probably have it are you winning if they have it and counter your thing probably still but there's just no reason when you're this far ahead i think to potentially give your opponent you know that efficient of a use of mana against you yeah for sure yeah like i I remember learning this through you and how passionate you were about it and how smart it is i think to peg them for it because when you're on the other side of the table when you're the one who passes with the thing especially when you're choked we know our opponents choked on mana if they're passing with a counter spell up here it becomes this like really scary diminishing returns or like sunk cost thing that happens where let's say we don't play anything here. And then next turn they're like, Oh man, I like, I didn't play them. I, I thought they were going to play something they didn't. And now am I supposed to pass with mana up again? Or do I just say, you know, screw it and basically throw the card away and start tapping out for stuff to affect the board. You're put in this really awkward spot. Right. And this is why counter spells are not generally good in limited, right? They're super powerful and constructed, but a card like cancel one blue blue counter target spell 
is not great and limited because you have to hold that mana up and then you're at the mercy of whatever your opponent decides to play. And then if you do want to put a card like cancel in your deck, you need to make sure you have other ways at instant speed to use your mana in case the opponent does try to play around it. So you can put your opponent in a catch 22 where if they decide to, you know, not play a creature here, then, you know, you play your contact other plane and draw two cards and you get an advantage that way. But even that is like, dicey at best i think as a strategy for limited yeah for sure so i ended up not playing into it but i, I did think for a long time about like all right which of these three do i want to play into the counter spell and what's like the most the least valuable etc and i just was like you know what i'm just gonna pass i'm, I'm gonna light the, their turn on fire and they ended up doing nothing with their mana and so i think i i read them for the right card well but if they do have that i think it's after they pass and do nothing i think it's likely they don't have it because the right play if you have that card is definitely to loot if you've been missing land drops, right? You should cast it in its other mode. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, may, may, I guess maybe they don't, they didn't have it. I don't know. I mean, we don't see it, but uh, I, I feel like maybe you go, ah, maybe I'm not supposed to fire it off or you go down a card, but you're right. You know, you got to dig for those lands. Yeah. All right. We got one more to take a look at here. This is red, green beefers. This is not the best looking deck in the world. Two drops. There's only an armory veteran and an intrepid outlander as creatures. Dragon's fire as removal got a bunch of threes that help ramp you to some of our bigger beefier things there's triple plundering barbarian some removal and improvised weaponry and magic missiles so some defensive speed but you definitely need to draw two and three drops with this deck um we're double splashing for volo guide to monsters and teleportation circle off of treasure and we've got two hoarding ogres to back that up and then just some beefers at the top old gnawbone hill giant herd gorgers swarming goblins frog hemoth owlbear that type of thing so it's very much like a maybe trade early ramp a little bit with a treasure and try to stick bigger monsters. For fans of the Lords of Limited podcast, you will remember this as a crit fail red green deck in our, uh, <laughs> in our episode a few weeks ago. Yeah. All right. So a board state on our side of the battlefield, there is five lands, three mountains, two forests, and we just got two treasure off of a hoarding ogre attack that traded off with some of our opponent's blockers. So we've got five mana and two treasures. Our hand is Swarming Goblins, Hill Giant Herdgorger, Intrepid Outlander, Hoarding Ogre, Teleportation Circle, and Unexpected Windfall. Opponent got off to a fast start against us, and we are down to eight life. So we're trying to figure out how best to stabilize against them. They're bored. They're at 20 life, three cards in hand, four lands, two planes, two mountains, tapped out. Uh, and they've still got a Veteran Dungeoneer and a Valor Singer tapped on their side of the battlefield as well as a spiked pit trap locked and loaded once they hit their fifth land drop as a removal spell and their one venture into the lost mine of Fandelver. So basically we're trying to figure out how we can stabilize against our opponent. And the way I see it, we've got two lines here. Um, you can either hill giant herd gorger this turn, which gives you a seven, six gains you three life, puts you up to 11 against their dungeoneer and valor singer. And then we'll survive the spiked pit trap that is also appealing about that. And then that leaves you with a treasure, you know, to cast teleportation circle and start blinking your hill giant herd gorger to gain three every turn. The other option, I think, is to just use both your treasure right now and double spell with swarming goblins and intrepid outlander to gum up the ground. So what do you like doing here? Well, you know, my initial thought, and we talked about this before the show, was to play the herd gorger because I was like, well, look. You don't block. You don't have to block if you don't want to, right? You go play a 7-6, go up to 11. I can take 6 from the Dungeoneer and the Valor Singer. Or you could block and force them to just, you know, you trade off with a 3-4 and then they have to use their whole turn for Spiked Pit Trap or use a trick or whatever. 
Um, it's hard to imagine that going super poorly for you. I guess the worst case scenario is it gets minimus containmented and you don't get to block. But then teleportation circle does blink artifacts, so you can still play the circle and blink the herd gorger, and that's a pretty good outcome for you. And you'd get to also play the outlander on the following turn. I don't know. I like that line a lot, but I also see the merit of just play goblins. You know, worst case scenario, you get a one one. You get to play the outlander. And you're not really, you know, you're burning your treasure, but you're not really stranding the circle in hand because you still have Hoarding Ogre and Windfall. And maybe it's just better to go wide against this board. But I also feel like you're setting yourself up for double blocks that get blown out, whereas I'd rather have the big beefy body to jump in front. I don't know. I know it's not what you did, but I, I, I think I land on playing Herd Gorger here. Against this color combo specifically, the worst thing I can think of is Minimus Containment, and that doesn't even seem that bad to me. Yeah, well, so they... If they have minimus containment, you're at five at the end of this exchange. One of the things that I think is bad about the herd gorger line is if they hit a land drop, you know, even if you block, they can use spike pit trap to finish off your herd gorger, and then you don't have the teleportation circle thing available to you, and you're also not double spelling a future turn. I guess you can swarming goblins as backup. The main downside of the herd gorger line, you know, to potentially instantly die would be if they had something like price of loyalty. But red white is probably not running that card if we're being honest. Right. I think. I was hoping for Swarming Goblins and Intrepid Outlander as just not all of my eggs in one basket. You know, worst case scenario, you roll a 1-1, you can trump the Veteran Dungeoneer or trade off with the Veteran Dungeoneer. They they don't have great attacks here. Even if they play land, spiked pit trap down your Swarming Goblins, you've got a block with the 1-1 and the Intrepid Outlander on the Valor Singer, and then you're only going down to five, and then, you know, you have the Hill Giant Herd Gorger to you available if you hit a land. I don't know. It's it's close. I can see the merit of the herd gorger here. Maybe I talked myself out of it. If the problem is if you if you miss a land, you're in trouble with with all that. And I know this is hard, we're going down a lot of rabbit holes here, folks. <laughs> Bear with us. So if you play goblins and let's say let's go worst case scenario, you just get one one one, right? Yeah. And you play outlander. So now you've got a four three, a two three, and a one one. On their turn, let's say they just spiked pit trap the goblins. Then you have a two three and a one one to double block Valor Singer and kill it. And then you're left with a 1-1 and they're left with a 3-4 and you're at five. Yes. If you don't draw a land, you only get to play Hoarding Ogre and then you're forced to try and double block the 3-4 and then just like die to a sneeze. Right. Which feels really bad. Yeah, I think I was afraid with the Herd Gorger line of them hitting a land drop and finishing off my Herd Gorger with Spiked Pit Trap. But that's actually not that bad for you, right? That's not that bad, and you don't have to block, right? You have both of those options available to you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm into the Herd Gorger line. Wow. We did it live. We did <laughs> it live. <laughs> we figured it out live. Yeah. I, I, these are some of my favorite ones that have all these permutations of what are you supposed to do. I think treasure is really interesting in, in these situations in terms of mana efficiency for two things. One, for splashes, but two, for like, do I burn, like burning the treasure here could potentially strand the Herd Gorger in hand, right? Like you could cast the Herd Gorger now, but if you don't hit land number six and use all your treasure, then you can't cast it on future turns. I've had that come up a lot where I'm like, ah, am I supposed to am I supposed to use this treasure now, which gets me on board for something, but sets me back actually from reaching my top end, right? I'm at four lands on a treasure and I have a Herd Gorger in hand and I'm like, ah, am I supposed to play Owlbear here? And now I'm two turns away from casting Herd Gorger. Those are some of the more interesting decisions I've had in this format. 
Magic is great. It is. Yeah. I mean, I don't like this set at all, but I'm still like super jazzed right now, like figuring out these puzzles. Yeah. I think it's one of the best critical thinking things there is. My, I got a new job this year and several of the students have like turned into my stream and are now like starting to dabble with arena on their phones and stuff like that. It's been cool. Like they're asking me questions about like, how do I deal with this death touch creature when I'm a green deck? And I was like, well, you know, you can play two colors, you know, blue can shrink their death touch creatures power. You can pair it with red and then use burn to kill it. And they're like, Oh, that's so cool. Like, (laughs) It's funny. There's so many, so many different layers to magic. Is there a magic club in your future at your new school? I think so. I really want to start a magic club either at the middle school or the high school or both. I think assuming I have time and I think I will have time because I've got significantly less responsibility. I'm no longer in charge of the program. I am the, the middle school band director. So yeah. Awesome. That sounds sweet. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks, as always, to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases, signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome, Mr. Spelled Out, both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you have any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.